As one of America's largest financial services companies, Nationwide makes simplicity a priority so financial professionals can help their clients achieve their retirement goals. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Jonathan Farrell and Lisa Abramowitz. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg Terminal. Jay Bryson standing by, the chief economist over at Wells Fargo. Jay, just initially, your reaction to a much, much hotter CPI print? Well, I think, you know, Mike nailed it earlier. I mean, if, you, if there's any doubt at all about 75, uh, they're definitely going 75. And then, you know, Lisa, I think you had a very good uh, comment there as well. What does this mean about November? I mean, we thought they would be stepping it back to November, uh, to 50 in November. And <clears throat> at this point, you would say 75 um, is certainly right. going to be on the table there in November. Jay, how do you take this data, this financialization shock over to the real economy? What does this 830 number signal about potential slowdown in economic growth? Well, you know, Tom, um, I think what you're looking at here is there's two things that's going on with the inflation, right? One is that inflation is going to continue to eat into nominal income. And so what we've seen, if you're looking at real disposable income year over year, um, at least in July, it was down 3.7%. Um, and so you can't continue to have consumer spending grow if real income is contracting like that. So that, that's the first problem with inflation. The second problem is it puts the Fed into overdrive. And if they're in overdrive, overdrive, sooner or later, they're going to make a policy mistake. And if we're talking 75, 75, 75, so far as the eye can see, they're going to make that policy mistake and it potentially could put the economy into, into recession, which is what we think is going to happen early next year. Jay, why did almost all forecasters get this wrong? Well, there's, you know, there's, there's a, a bunch of volatility on a month-by-month -month sort of basis here. Um, we were above consensus, but we weren't at um, 0 0.6. I, you know, I think the, the, the big thing here that's really pushing a lot of this, and, and this is why it's going to be hard to bring inflation down in the near term, is the shelter component. You know, the way they treat shelter, the way they treat housing in here comes in with a long lag. And we all know what's happened over the last year or so. Housing prices have exploded. Um, and it came into the CPI relatively slowly. It's coming in with a vengeance now. The problem is it's going to continue to come in um, as well. And so that's going to keep the CPI inflation rate elevated for the foreseeable future. Jay, many Fed officials have given us the impression that what they wanted was two or three softer inflation reports to rethink the trajectory of rate hikes. As Lisa mentioned, and you alluded to it, do you think this really disrupts their ability to say in November that we need to go a different direction? Well, yeah, I, I think, well, obviously, we've got a lot of, of data coming out between here and, and, and November. So, you know, we'll, we'll see, right? But, you know, if they want to see two or three soft prints in a row, we've just set, reset uh, the clock back to zero, 
right now. And so, um, you know, 75 obviously is on the table, I think, in November. We'll see what happens to the real economy. We, you know, we'll have, you know, two more um, employment reports between now and then. That'll be key. Um, so if you do see slowing in the real economy, maybe it backs off. But right now, we haven't seen a lot, tremendous amount of slowing in the real economy. And that keeps <coughs> these supersized rate hikes in, in play. Jay, can you tell me where you expect to see unemployment by year end? And at the moment, this Fed, as you know, is very, very focused on the one side of the mandate, bringing inflation lower. We're all trying to work out whether the two sides of the mandate come into more conflict as we get closer to year end. So our, our view, um, John, is at the end of the year, you're looking at an unemployment rate somewhere around 3.7 or so. So I think that's still a very, very tight labor market. Now, as we go into early next year <coughs> and as we see, uh, you know, d- deceleration and then uh, contraction in economic activity, I think that's when you see the unemployment rate start to move. But if we're still at 3.7 or let's say we're still below 4%, you know, we still have a three handle at the end of this year. I don't think the Fed is slowing down at that point. What does this say, Jay, about the inertial force of supposed disinflation? I think we're talking about getting to 5 or 4% inflation out there. But do we blow that up today and say simply our path is to get to 7 or 6.9% inflation? Well, Tom, I do believe that you are going to continue to see. So our view that inflation starts to recede next year is predicated on our view that you do have a recession. If you do have a recession, then what you do see is goods prices will definitely start to decelerate, as will service prices um, as well. The, you know, the good thing, if there's anything that, that's good here, is that we have not seen inflation expectations become, quote, unmoored. That's a, that's a word that the Fed will, you know, uses all the time. Um, and, and so that's... That's a good thing because if that does become unmoored, then that creates its, its, its own <clears throat> dynamic as well. People start to pull forward their expenditures, which pushes up inflation. They ask for higher and higher wage increases as well. Fortunately, we haven't mm-hmm. seen it become unmoored. But if you continue to start to see, you know, continue to see prints like this, then you <clears throat> do start to worry about that happening. All right. For all of you on Bloomberg Radio, Bloomberg Television, Dr. Jay Bryson with us with Wells Fargo here. A stunning inflation report. John, is that the right word? I think you can call I mean, it just that. Stunning, it's certainly stunning, an upside surprise, Tom. Stunning inflation report. Futures uh, turn around. I'm doing the math in my head, John. Help me out here. 2.5% flip-flop in what we see and on S&P on the futures. Nasdaq 100. Yeah, and, and some. some. We're down yes. 2.4%. Yeah. This disrupts the idea that this Fed can back away anytime soon, Tom. It's a bit of a reality Well, I'll go with the disruption or just to say that we've got to rip up the script and come up with a whole new dialogue. We do that with Michael McHugh, who's uh, dived into the inflation report a little more. Michael, what is the distinction between service dynamic and goods dynamic? Well, right now, it looks like services are starting to pick up some speed here. Uh, Services less energy rise by six-tenths of a percent. That's after four-tenths last month. And now services are up 6.1% over the year. So we are seeing service prices start to rise. And you can see it in a number of areas. Interestingly, education, tuition, college tuition. It's time for kids to go back to school. And that was up half a percent, a fairly strong increase for that category. So, yeah. (laughs) You would know something about that, Tom. Uh, We're also seeing... 
uh, motor vehicle insurance up 1.3%. That's been an ongoing issue. And airline fares fell 4.6%, but they had fallen 7.8% the month before. So we're losing a little of the benefit uh, from that. So you are seeing services rise. Uh, There was one thing I did want to mention. Somebody asked me this morning if we could mention this because uh, it matters to senior citizens. The Consumer Price Index for Urban Wage Earners was up 8.7%. We'll have to see what the uh, ne- the average numbers come out to be uh, once September's numbers come in, but that will lead into the Social Security COLA. And if oh. you're looking at an 8.7% increase, that's going to be pretty you big. see that? From London, was it, was he's looking at me. I'm in London and McKee's looking at me. My McKee, it's good to hear from <laughs> you, sir. It's great to have you break that down for us. Alongside Jay Bryson of Wells Fargo, I'm going to totally avoid <clears> that and focus on this market. <laughs> This is brutal. And again, I'm going to watch the bond space. You're going to see a breakthrough of the total return aggregates of Bloomberg, price lower. We have never seen this before. David Kelly joins us now to talk about this, the chief global strategist at JP Morgan Asset Management. David, we've given everyone the opportunity to respond to the data so far. Mm -hmm. It's about an hour old now. Your response to it? It's a a little warmer than expected, but I'm not going to call one-tenth of a percent of an increase in prices a hot inflation report. What's happening is it's cooling. Uh, there are just a few hot spots. There, there are problems in getting all of inflation to come down, but the cooling trend is there. I think markets are overreacting to this. Uh, in particular, there's a big chunk of inflation. Uh, the CPI, 32% is in shelter, and that's up seven-tenths of a percent. And that's really what's driving a lot of the underlying um, you know, resilience of inflation here. But a lot of that is, you know, owner's equivalent rent. It's a very, uh, you know, almost a mythical concept uh, because nobody actually pays owner's equivalent rent. So there are parts of inflation hanging on, but I think, I think it's really important to recognize the economy's cooling here. Uh, and a lot of the things that pushed up inflation are cooling off also. So we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't get messed up by, by the fact that it was a little higher than consensus here. The, rea- the big story here is inflation is actually coming down. David, that is convenient for a lot of the bulls. And yet the story that people are seeing right now is that the hope was we would see a much faster disinflation that would get the Fed, not perhaps raising rates as much as they were saying. How can you lean against this? What parts of the market are most overreacting from your perspective? Well, you mentioned financials. uh, And I think what's going on is uh, people are assuming that this will make the Fed a bit more hawkish. And I think that's true. I mean, I think that uh, the, the Fed will now have more of reason to go 75 basis points uh, next week, and I think that's what they'll do. I think the ECB obviously just did that. I think the Bank of England will do the same. Uh, but I think the Fed will also leave the door open to a smaller increase in November, maybe 50 basis points, maybe 25 basis points in December, because what they are going to see is is inflation continuing actually to cool, because that, that's actually what's going on. I think we'll get about two-tenths of a percent in the September read. Uh, energy prices are going to be down month over month in September also. Uh, I think we'll see the airline fares come down a bit more. I think lodging will come down a bit more. We've got a big increase in tobacco prices. No reason why we get that two months in a row. So I, I just think we're, we're overreacting to this. Yes, it wasn't good news on inflation. It was worse than expected. But the, the big trend here is coming down. I think you know financials are overreacting. I, I, I have no problem with the 10-year Treasury up near 350. I think that's, that's OK. But I think the, the assumption that somehow we're not dealing with inflation or it's going to get worse I I think it's just wrong. 
What about big tech, Dave? I mean, David, we're looking right now at a 3.1% decline on the NASDAQ. Yeah. It has been a knee-jerk whipsaw lower, and it has had legs. Do you push against that? Not, not necessarily. I think you'd have to go stock by stock because it, the, the issue is there were a number of things that were overvalued based if you ever assumed a normal level of real interest rates. And we are getting back to a more normal level of real interest rates. And that is negative for, uh, for large cap uh, growth stocks, which, you know, which were standing at very high valuations. So I, I, I do get that. And I don't, you know, I don't, I think it's really more of a return to rationality in a lot of the pricing in markets. And that's no harm. Um, but overall, I, you know, I, I, I'm actually positive on the equity market, and I'm, I'm glad to see so many people bearish because I think that that sets us up to do a bit better uh, over the next few months. David Kelly, what do you see among corporate earnings? We're, we're really before the gaming of what corporate earnings are doing, but let's get out front with you. How are corporations adapting to America's inflation? Well, it is it is difficult, and, and you know, last year we had a spectacular year for earnings. This year, it would be lucky if we get a, get out with a or end the year with a positive on operating earnings year over year. I think it could be negative next year. Uh, yeah, I think we're going to see an inflation uh, or an earnings squeeze. I mean, I mean, the the reality is you've got this growth in wages that is real. Uh, companies can either pass it on or not, and I think they're going to find it hard to pass it on. And I think that's going to. Uh, squeeze margins next year. So I, I do think that whether we have a recession or not, we could end up with negative earnings growth next year. David, like everyone out there on my cell phone, I have a real estate dump of whatever geography I'm looking at. Doesn't everybody go out today and mark down the price of their house for sale? Um, yes, and it takes a long, long time for that market to clear. But the, but the reality is the average mortgage payment on a new home has gone up by 60% in the last year. And, and that, really, that one I do really blame the Federal Reserve for. They kept rates so low for so long that it caused a in prices and now we can't deal with I don't think there's enough, enough people to buy homes when you push the, the average mortgage rate or average mortgage payment up by 60% in a year. John, I think this is just absolutely profound. I can't say enough about uh, sector to sector in inflation, the different elasticities that are out there on home ownership and how it redounds over to re rent multifamily nationwide. Every region's different. Guess what? This report is a game changer. And core inflation came in hotter than expected, and shelters are one of the most stickiest part of the report when it comes to inflation. And David, I appreciate what you're saying that things might be getting better, perhaps not worse. But when you think about what the Fed will do, not what they should do, mm -hmm. David, can you talk to me about what you expect they will do? They've laid out their reaction function. They've told us how they respond to incoming information. Tell us what you think that means for what they will do. Well, I, I think what they'll do is they'll go 75 basis points next week. But I do think that in the press conference and perhaps in the statement, they will acknowledge the fact that inflation has cooled somewhat, uh, but, but they'll say, you know, two data points are not good enough to, to, to call it a trend yet. So they'll have some caution there, but they'll put enough doubt in there to give them the space to only go 50 basis points in, in, in November. So I think, I think they want to set, set it up that way. They want, to, they want to put in a hawkish move, but give themselves the opportunity then to put in more dovish language without being labeled <coughs> as being soft on in inflation. Uh, but, you know, again, I would focus on, you know, this shelter thing. Yeah, it's, it's a long lagging prob uh, problem in inflation. But if you think about it, how does higher interest rates help deal with a shelter inflation problem? I mean, if it stops people from building houses, how are you going to bring down rents?
Uh, so it's, uh, that's the problem. It, you know, the, the very, the one thing that, that they, they're most worried about, or the one thing that's keeping inflation high is the thing that, that they can fix the least by pushing up interest rates. There you go. David Kelly of JP Morgan Asset Management. Nobody ever says, make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more, Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. The message is a little cloudier in markets. SD Dweck, CIO of Flowbank, joining us now. We are seeing uh, NASDAQ down 2.9%, a reset of the idea of a disinflationary tilt that we thought would take hold but didn't. Are you rethinking any of your positions today? Well, it was never going to be a straight line down. We have a number of inflation data points that are still showing that uh, disinflation is happening. Clearly, uh, the core print for today was not fantastic. And we're seeing the disappointment in markets, especially because we had that expectations in the last couple of days that really ramped up and, and boosted markets. Uh, from a positioning perspective, we still have PPI tomorrow. We have the Michigan numbers uh, coming up at the end of the week. We had inflation expectations in the last couple of days showing us that those have come down quite sharply as well. So uh, I think the disinflation trend is going to continue. But for today, it's definitely going to be ugly. John, we're getting in the numbers right now. Peter Bookfire has one of the isolated incidents. Health insurance up 24 percent year over year. Services. Services is the distinction feature. Without a doubt. Esty, with that in mind, we've got this tug of war between financial conditions and what is happening with the data and how the Fed is responding to it and investors who are hoping all of this goes away and next year it's smooth sailing. What's your message to people that still doubt the resolve of this Federal Reserve? Well, there wasn't going to be a pivot and there clearly isn't going to be a pivot anytime soon. I think Jackson Hole dispelled that idea completely. Anything that anything close to a pivot would just mean we're going to stop hiking. And that, you know, happens at some point in 2023. And how many more percentage they get in before that, uh, that number is going up, of course, for the with the November expectations rising as well. Uh, but the Fed isn't going to blink. Inflation is gradually coming down slower than anyone would like. Uh, but their resolve is going to be very firm. Mm-hmm. Esty, where do I hide? 
Just as simple as that. <laughs> My head is spinning. This report wasn't what I expected. Where do I hide to drag myself into 2023? So I think it's a bit too early to say that the entire end of the year is going to be bad. I think at some point we are going to have some improvement in markets. For the time being, it feels really like the dollar is a great place to hide. The Swiss franc, you were talking earlier about the Swiss National Bank. Uh, coming in with those hikes. So Swiss franc probably uh, is another place to hide, but you're, you know, you're making something in cash. And I think a lot of it, a lot of investors are going to be happy to sit in cash and wait uh, for the picture to improve, uh, hopefully over the next couple of weeks. Esti, thank you. Esti Dweck there, a flow bank. Right now, let's look at oil. We do this with Regina Mayer, Global Head of Energy at KPMG, steeped in all of the game theory of her Rice University. Regina, I want to focus on the game theory right now of President Biden in one chart I just saw in passing, which is our so-called strategic oil reserve. And the proper scientific word for this is the volume we have in reserve has truly cratered. What does that mean for America? Well, I do think we've probably reached a tipping point where it's time to focus on refilling the strategic petroleum reserve because it is at an all-time low. Um, and I think we're sort of out of the woods from a U.S. energy price pressure that was driving inflation and the things that I know the politicians were worried about coming into the midterms, and that was the price at the pump. We see gasoline prices in the U.S. consistently go down and down and down. So I believe... If anybody was taking my advice, it's time to start focusing on on restocking our SPR and, and getting right. it uh, a little above where it, where it is today. Can you get out the Kufal at us or slide rules at KPMG and tell me how much a gallon of gas is going to go up? Is President Biden restocks that reserve? Are we going up 20 cents a gallon, 52 cents a gallon? What's that statistic? No, I actually, I think we're out of the woods on gas prices, Tom. I mean, I, I think that, you know, we've done with summer driving season. We've got quite a lot of stock. The refineries are up and running again. I'm less worried about what that would do immediately to gas prices. I will say that what the administration did with regard to releasing fuel from the SPR was one of the key things that the energy industry will say made a material difference in the summer peak season than when we saw gasoline prices at their peak in June. Regina, that's a story over in the United States. You're in Portugal right now in Lisbon, and we're in London, and the focus very much is on energy, and it's a very different and multi-pronged concern because it's not all uh, gasoline or crude. It's natural gas. It's, uh, it's, it's some of the issues with nuclear energy over in France. From your perspective, is the plan that's coming to shape from the European Union of trying to cap demand while also providing uh, profits from the energy companies to households, does this make sense? Does it feel feasible to you? Well, at least I think that the EU's already made quite a bit of progress. So we have seen European gas prices drop. We're at a seven-week low, um, and it's 40% off its peak on August 26. It's still eight times higher than normal, but there are bright spots. Gas storage is up 84% right now, and it's slightly above where they would have expected to be for the five-year average. The countries have been working on securing as much supply as possible. Now they're looking at packages to reduce demand and to cap what that would do to household income. 
it's going to cost a lot of money. There's got to be uh, national budgets are going to be strained. So it's got to be a lot of different things that that happen. I would not say they're out of the woods because if it's a particularly cold winter and if we see Asian demand start coming back in where cargoes of LNG are priced up in a competitive way, that's where things get really critical again. So not out of the woods, but the things that they have been doing in the near term are having a, a measurable impact. Okay, so Regina, could you just build that out a little bit, a measurable impact in that we are seeing gas, uh, natural gas prices come down significantly. But is that impact going to lower them further as they are still eight times higher than where they were a year ago? Or is it going to just keep them here, keep it just sort of a persistent crisis rather than something that is much more acute and immediately needing to, to be addressed? Definitely. We're, we're not out of the woods. And I, I think that the pullback in the recent days is probably over amplified with what's happening in Ukraine. I think maybe there's a little bit of irrational exuberance about what happened and maybe some people thinking, okay, the war might be over and we can stop weaponizing gas. I don't anticipate that at all. So while the measures are important and what I see the EU working on is a comprehensive package because you have to work on both demand and supply, no doubt it's having a material impact and it will have a material impact on the economy. I'm hearing from some executives here in Portugal that they're Energy costs are, in some cases, a billion dollars over right what their expected energy costs are. All of that's going to have a material impact on earnings, competitiveness, and they're going to shut down factories because it's too expensive to run them. We're already seeing that, and we could see it a whole lot more going deeper into winter. <coughs> Regina Mather of KPMG out of Lisbon, Portugal today. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Thanks for listening. Join us live weekdays from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio and on Bloomberg Television each day from 6 to 9 a.m. for insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. And subscribe to the Surveillance Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on The Terminal. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.